0: This morning, I want us to talk about worship again. That's been my focus the Sundays I've been preaching this summer. As I've been thinking about worship, worship takes on many, many different forms. And one of the things that worship does that we sometimes don't grasp is that it involves all of our senses, okay? It involves touch. It involves hearing. It involves visual seeing. And you know what else? It involves smell, okay? We don't practice that very well here. This is a scent-free auditorium, so we don't bring the scents in here and, and allow smells to, to, be, to be smelled. But, you know, there'd be nothing better than on a Sunday when we preach on, on the bread of life to have some bread machines up here uh, waffing off the odors of fresh-baked bread, right? Except too many people would, uh, would uh, suffer from wanting the bread, However, but I I do want us to think about this whole sense of smell today. Because that's going to be the focus of how I want us to think about our worship. After I moved to Kitchener, Waterloo area, way back in 1972, yep, that far back, uh, I discovered one thing very quickly. That Kitchener had the best of two worlds to offer. Compared to the small town I grew in, this was a city and offered many of the things that only cities can offer. But, having been raised in the country, I really appreciated the fact that, well, at least back in 1972, you could easily be out of the city and into the country in a matter of ten minutes. Well, countryside... There we go. Countrysides offer uh, many vistas of farms and woods and trails. And as I got to appreciate the scenes with no high rise in sight, as my wife likes to remind me, I got thinking about the beautiful scents of the fresh mown fields of hay. Have you ever been out there and smelled that fresh hay as it's cut off of, uh, off of the fields? Or the pungent scent of, of a forest after a rain? And as I still say, every time I leave the city and go out into the country, ah, this is what people leave the city for. And then I don't usually have to go very far, And I discover the farmer spreading his liquid gold. And the stench of that manure assaults my nasal passages. And I say, now I know why people leave the country. Did you know your life is to be lived as a fragrant offering to God? That's an act of worship. That's your act of worship, my act of worship. the question I want to ask you this morning as we talk about a few things is I want you to be thinking, what does my life smell like? Okay? I'm not asking if you wore your deodorant or not this morning. I'm asking you to have a look at your heart and to see if the fragrance of love is the fragrance that is being wafted from your life. May we pray. Our Lord and our God, now as we hear your word, fill us with your spirit, soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence, sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth, shape our wills that we may desire your ways, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, our scripture reading this morning begins with these words, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. Jesus comes back to Bethany for one last time. This time, it's, it's an occasion of festivity. It's celebratory. It's a feast with those close friends of his. Whereas the last time he was there, well, that was a somber, sorrow-filled time. There was a lot of weeping and lament. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, brother to Mary and Martha, He was dead. Jesus' good friend, Lazarus, had died. And Jesus wasn't there when he died. Nor did he go to Bethany the moment he got the news. In fact, a couple of days went by before he went to Bethany. And his disciples didn't understand any of it. Nor did Mary and Martha, who were devastated at Lazarus' passing, broken-hearted with disappointment in the way that Jesus had acted. And then finally, finally, four days after Lazarus had died, Jesus and his disciples arrived in Bethany. And after two very different emotionally charged encounters with Mary and Martha, Jesus insisted on going to Lazarus' grave. And then even more insistently, he orders them to move the stone away. Take the stone away from covering the entrance of the tomb. Roll it back. And Martha is horrified. No, Jesus, she objects. No, Lazarus has been dead for four days. The smell is going to be terrible. Martha knew that her brother's body all would be well into the decaying process by this time. Remember, this is a hot climate. The Jewish people did not embalm people, their dead corpses. Martha was right. The smell would have been dreadful. And yet, Jesus insisted. For he knew that this, one, this was one of the last pieces that needed to be put into place before he himself would suffer as the sacrificial lamb of God. He knew that there was a greater purpose than just bringing Lazarus back to his sisters, for Jesus desired that the people would see for themselves the glory of God. So he insisted, and they took the stone away. They rolled the stone back, and I'm sure the stench that came out of that tomb was intolerable. Yet Jesus was undeterred. Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come on out. And to the utter amazement of all who were there at the tomb, that's exactly what happened. Lazarus came out of the tomb. Still wrapped in his grave clothes, complete with anointing spices, there was Lazarus. And amazingly, he didn't stink. Indeed, his decaying body would have no longer been decaying. Now it was complete. Now it was whole. Jesus had raised Lazarus from, from decay and from death, all to his heavenly Father's glory. This time was very different when Jesus came into, into Bethany. This time was an occasion for festivity, For celebration, a time to be with friends. No harsh words for Jesus. No reprimand for not getting there on time and saving Lazarus. No rotting stench of dead bodies, decaying bodies. Instead, Jesus' friends had planned a banquet, a dinner to be given in his honor. And six days before the Jewish Passover, Mary and Martha and Lazarus decided they would honor Jesus with a dinner, a banquet to celebrate what Jesus had done for them. And right there, right there in the midst of those sitting around the tables was Lazarus, the most grateful probably there. Alive and well, resurrected from a decaying body that had smelled badly enjoying the moment in a way that only a resurrected man could, with a heart that was filled with eternal gratitude. And there was Martha, and Martha was right in her element, right in her glory. She had the the wonderful task of being attentive as a cook and as a housekeeper and, and bringing all the wonderful food to the table. She was in her element, fastidiousness in her preparations, making sure everything was just right. Yes, this was a very different moment than the last time Jesus had been in Bethany. Lazarus, Martha, and yes, Mary. The same Mary. The same Mary who sat at Jesus' feet as he taught. The same Mary who who fell sorrowfully at his feet and wept. The same Mary who led Jesus to where Lazarus had been buried. was the same Mary then as the guests were reclining around that table, Mary came, she brought with her a pint of pure nard, a very expensive perfume, and she broke the bottle open and poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Absolutely saturated. This wasn't just some little mild, sweet-smelling perfume. This was pure nard. It was the most expensive, most glorious perfume that they had in that time. And it was Mary, quietly, unnoticed, who came into the banqueting room, carrying a jar, carrying a jar of very expensive and very fragrant oil of pure nard. About a, cup, about a pint, maybe two cups. And the text notes that it was pure nard. Well, pure nard is a very expensive uh, and a very fragrant oil extracted from the spikenard plant, and it grows in East India. Because it was so very expensive, it was considered to be one of the most precious commodities available. And two pounds would have been worth at least an entire year's wages. It, was, it probably was the major part of Mary's marriage dowry. Uh, someday, if she should marry, this would be her dowry. She was very fortunate to have so much of this very costly oil. And like a really good perfume today, she would have normally only used a scarce drop or two of this very precious scent to fragrant her body. So this jar would have lasted her for many, many years if not her lifetime. And carrying this most precious oil, Mary moves into the room and she approaches Jesus where she kneels before him, breaks open that bottle and pours not one or two drops, not even just a few drops. She empties the entire contents over his feet. The oil drips all over his feet. The room is saturated with the scent of that oil. Mary bends over even further. She loosens her long hair. And she then gently, lovingly, she begins to wipe the feet of her Savior. The feet of the one who would prove not only to be her friend, but her very best friend. And and then gently, lovingly, carefully, she wipes that oil as an ointment over his feet with her hair. And all you can do is to describe that As the most lavish gesture of worship imaginable. The house was filled with that sweet, distinct fragrance. I like to think of it as the fragrance of love. This was the fragrance Martha was wiping over his feet. This was the act she was participating in. Martha's actions would have caught the attention of everyone in the room... A room which most likely became very still and very quiet because so many of the social conventions were being were being uh, 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 we just not being observed in that moment. Those present would have been utterly amazed. Amazed at the extravagance of the oil, yes. But amazed at Mary's other actions. Amazed by the incredible fragrance, yes. But amazed that Mary was violating so many of the cultural norms of that day. For as a woman, her place was to help prepare and serve the meal. But here she is approaching the banqueting table, not with food in her hands to serve, no food in hand but a beautiful alabaster jar. And then even more amazingly, there's there's this whole issue of of touching another person's feet. That was a task that in that day was assigned only to the lowliest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servants. Certainly not something any self-respecting woman would have done. And then she robbed whatever dignity she might still have retained in the eyes of the others in that room as she loosened her hair. The woman's hair was her crown and glory. And then she used it to wipe Jesus' feet amidst the scandalous look of the others. For never, never ever would a Jewish woman have loosened her hair in public. Absolutely no way. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, with the fragrance of Mary's love. Finally, what must have seemed as an eternity of silence, even though I'm sure it was just moments, whispers give way to audible amazement. Finally, someone speaks up, breaking the silence, asking what others may have been thinking but dared not ask, but one of his disciples, you know the one, Judas, Judas Iscariot, the same Judas who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. Just think, that much money, how much that would have helped the poor people. Think about the homeless, think about the hungry. But that's not what Judas was thinking. Indeed, the text makes it very clear that the poor, the homeless, the hungry didn't really have a thought in Judas's mind. For we read in verse 6, Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was in it. Sad truth was, Judas, the disciple in charge of the group's money bag, was in the habit of dipping his hand into that purse helping himself to whatever was in there, and to have a whole year's wages in there, why there would be a lot of dipping. And in truth, before Judas became Jesus' betrayer, he was an embezzler, he was a thief. But Jesus, Jesus speaks up. He says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. She's just simply using it before I'm actually dead, isn't she? For Jesus knew Mary's heart. He could see what Mary herself might not even have fully understood or realized. She was being moved by the great depth of love in her inner heart, a devotion that she had for Jesus Christ, a fact which was made more poignant by the raising of Lazarus, her beloved brother, And Mary was extravagantly showing herself and the others in that room what was in the center, the deepest part of her heart, the love that she had for the one who within the week would become her Savior. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, the fragrance of love. Jesus knew her heart. While others were baffled, Jesus knew. Jesus accepted this deep, loving, humbling, extravagant act of worship. While others saw the wastefulness of what was being denied to so many others, Jesus saw the heart. Jesus knew what Mary was offering, her worship, to the one who was to be her Savior and Lord. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume with the fragrance of love. I got to this point in my message and I had to sit down and I had to ask myself what does the fragrance of love smell like? I want to know what it smells like how how often do we offer to god that most amazing perfume of love or do we mary gave she gave the thing that she possessed and treasured the most she poured out her love in the perfume that she owned her extravagance wasn't in the cost of the perfume. Her extravagance was in her act of worship. The love that for Jesus that swelled up from deep within her soul. A fragrance of which eclipsed the physical fragrance of the pure nard itself, the perfume. In the same way, God pours out the fragrance of love too. He pours out that fragrance through what was most precious to him, his one and only Son, Jesus Christ. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In expressing his love for humankind. God gave the most precious thing he had. He gave Jesus. His one and only son. And that my friend. Is the purest, greatest, most glorious fragrance of love. The sweet smell, the wafting perfume of God's love. Is given to us is poured out over us through Jesus Christ. But that's God. I'm not God. I'm a human being. I live here and present now, someday in eternity, yes. But right now, I'm here. So what does the fragrance of love smell like? Well, I recently read an article simply entitled The Fragrance of Love, although I had picked the title long before I read the article. An article by a lady by the name of Pat Banta Kreml. I don't know her. And in that article, she tells of a time when she was very tired. She was sitting on, uh, upstairs on the edge of her bed, utterly exhausted, when all of, her sen- all of a sudden her senses started kicking in. One of the most heavenly aromas that she ever smelled. It was sauteing onions. And in the moment as she realized what she was smelling, those onions just filling the wafting through the whole house, she realized something else. Those onions were being sauteed by her husband downstairs. He had come home. He was tired. He was weary, but he started making dinner, made dinner for her. And right then, in that moment, that's the fragrance of love, isn't it? The smell of sautéed onions. And she realized that no other smell was so loving as those onions in that moment. No roses, no chocolate, no perfume ever smelled so sweet as those onions that her tired husband was making for their dinner. She sat there and began to wonder about other times the fragrance of love comes to us. And a series of smells and accompanying scenes played through her mind, all of them carrying the message, I love you. So what's the fragrance of love? Well, first she thought it was the the smell of sweat and fertilizer that wafts through the house as as the farmer father comes in from the fields and the barn after working 12 or 14 hours on the farm to provide for his family. And that's the fragrance of love. Or the fragrance of love is the smell of fresh baked bread and homemade biscuits that a weary mother prepares early in the morning for her family's breakfast. That's a fragrance of love. Or it's the smell of steaming chicken soup prepared by a friend who heard that she had a bad cold and brought it over. Or have you ever thought of gasoline as the fragrance of love? It's the smell of gasoline on a stranger who stopped to help her when she ran out of gas. Well, Pat goes on to state, Love has many expressions, many fragrances, But the fragrance of love that is more costly than any other aroma or perfume was made one time for all. It's the fragrance of Jesus' love poured out on the cross for you and me. You see, there's another line to the passage that I read from 1 John 4 regarding the fragrance of love. Let's go back and read that again from 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. That he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here's the line I didn't put in last time. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Did you hear it? Did you get it? The fragrance of love are all of the smells, the scents, the perfumes of living love. We also ought to love one another. The apostle Paul stated it this way in Second Corinthians, for God now uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Ever thought of that? You're a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. We who have had the alabaster jar of God's love broken and poured out over us through Jesus Christ, we who are now the followers of the one who gave his very life for us, we have become the fragrance of love. For the fragrance of love is nothing short of the fragrance of Christ. And now you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, our lives are to be a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. Our lives are to be an offering of our worship. You see, our worship of God goes far beyond this sanctuary. It goes far beyond the screens that you may be watching at home. Our worship is far more than the songs that we sing, the prayers that we offer, the scriptures we read, the sermons we listen to. Our worship will be found in the way that we live our lives in the loving, caring, thoughtful things that we do for others. That's our true worship, my friends, being offered to God as Mary offered that perfume to Jesus' feet. The fragrance of love comes in many forms. It's shown in many ways. Sometimes it's just a subtle wafting. Other times it's a beautiful breeze, gentle breeze. Sometimes it's strong and powerful and and full of redolence. But it was always, always be an offering of love. Love shown to others, given to Jesus, poured out to God above, and God will receive it as our worship of him. Some of you know I was given earlier this year for my birthday uh, a book that I had known years ago, Valley of Visions, Puritan Prayers. And I recently read a prayer, and the lines of one of those prayers really struck me. And it goes like this, Fill the garden of my soul with the wind of love, that the sense of the Christian life may be wafted to others. Then come and gather fruits to thy glory, so shall I fulfill the great end of my being and to glorify thee and be a blessing to men. Every day, I now pray a slightly altered version of that prayer. And it goes like this. Lord, fill my life, yes, the gardens and the valleys, with the fragrance of your love, so that the scent of Christ might be wafted on others. Then come... Reap your harvest to thy eternal glory and praise. Amen. May we pray. Father, may our lives always be our act of living and loving worship offered to you. May our lives be a sweet, fresh, pleasing aroma, a wonderful, beautiful fragrance to all who come into contact with us. May we live the sweetness of your love in the things we do, the things we say, even in the things we think, so that we might be worshipped, that we, that, so that you might be worshipped and others might come to see you and be blessed. So we pray. We pray as your people that in each of our lives you would fill the gardens, the valleys, and every other crack and and crevice and nook with the fragrance of your love, so that your spirit may waft and puff and blow the scent of Christ Jesus upon and into the lives of people all around us. And then, O Lord, come, reap your harvest, all to your eternal glory and good pleasure. Amen. and uh, as we respond if you're able will you please uh, stand and sing with us a great hymn of the faith the love of god, the love
1: of god is great.
0: said to Israel even as the Lord says to us I have loved you my people with an everlasting love with an unfailing love I have drawn you to myself now my friends the Lord has told you what is good and that and what is required of you to do what is right to love mercy to walk humbly with your God so lord Fill the gardens, fill the valleys with the fragrance of your love. And may the scent of Christ be wafted to all others. Amen.